are this morning. And so Colossians chapter uh, 3 has been a bit of a transition for Paul in the book of Colossians. Chapter 3 has has been a transition from the first two chapters, which is what is the gospel? What is the good news? What did Jesus do? And then in chapter 3 we go, well, how does it impact our lives? And so the first part of chapter 3, the first few verses, Paul says, set your mind on things above. And this is how it affects your individual behavior. Last week we talked about putting to death the deeds of the flesh and then putting on uh, Christ-likeness. Well, this week we get to look at how the gospel impacts our closest relationships, the people that are right around us. And uh, there's this word that is used in the Greek called oikos. Look at your neighbor and say oikos. You've just gotten a little bit smarter, you know, a Greek word. It means like your household. So the people that are closest to you. Now, in this day, people lived at home, uh, and, and oftentimes they lived at home longer, and, and the families in each home were a little bit larger. And so as we think about how to apply oikos, we can think about the people in our home and our immediate sphere of influence, the people that had the greatest impact over us and us over them. So like you guys that are a part of Middleman, which I'm so excited about this group up here of, um, of young men who are hearing about the Lord responding and, and taking the gospel to the corner of downtown um, as, and using skating, boarding, Skateboarding as, um, I was trying to be cool there for a moment, like, you know, it, it won't work. Anyway, um, and, and using, so your oikos could be your family, but it also could be, uh, guys, your oikos is kind of like your, your group, like your guys, like, like the guys in your group that are closest to you, the guys that you hang with, that hold you accountable. That's your oikos. Those are, those are people in your family. Well, well Paul is going to de- deal here with, with the oikos that's represented for the Colossians, and it's really about, the, about their family. And, um, and now, this list is pretty simple and straightforward. And so when I teach you the list, I'm just going to tell you simply what it says but there are two really significant things about this list that you might miss at a casual reading of it. Two significant things. A list of rules for the ancient household was very common. And, and what Paul is going to do here is list some things that are similar to other lists of rules, but there are two things that stand out as uniquely different. And the first one is this. The first thing that we see is that this list gives each person equal worth. The wife, the husband, the child, the parent, the slave, and slave owner are all equal. Now, this is huge. No one person has a greater value than the other in the oikos. It's significant to point this out. You see, because in nearly every culture since the beginning of people, uh, there's been a separation into class based on things like money and ethnicity and all kinds of other things, right? I mean, just think about um, what you know about what's happened in history. So in every every tribe, every type of people, there's been a separation based on money and ethnicity and other things. But and, and without fail, one group begins to believe that their value as a human being is greater than another's, which is how they justify treating others uh, horribly. The result is oppression and abuse and a total disregard for human dignity. 
So just two or three weeks ago, I was in Ecuador, and one thing I learned about the Ecuadorian people is that there are really two kind of ethnic groups in Ecuador. There are those that have um, Spanish in their bloodline, and then there are the indigenous Ecuadorian people. Well, the indigenous Ecuadorian people have spent, their, their family history is, has been um, basically, it's, it's basically been about them being a lesser people, them being a low people them being a worthless people. And so in the most indigenous areas in Ecuador, if you walk up to people, the children and the adults almost cower in your presence. They cower. And you could say, well, it's because you've got a beard and you're white. And by the way, there was only one other person in all of Ecuador I saw with a beard. So it was a little weird. The children would come up to me in in non-indigenous areas and they'd start feeling my face like this. And I'd be like, oh, I hope they wash their hands. I hope they wash their hands. But anyway, so, so the Ecuadorian people, they'd almost cower in your presence. And I asked the translator why that is. And she says, because they believe they're worthless. They've been told their whole lives they're worthless and they're good for nothing because of their because of their, their roots and their skin color, their ethnicity. So this pattern of one class um, operating in such a way that, that they believe that another type of people is um, not as worthy as they are, uh, it reveals a brokenness in humanity caused by sin. But when Jesus came, he came to restore this brokenness by dying on the cross to free us from sin and its effects. And Paul repeatedly emphasized that in Christ, listen to this, no one type of person has greater worth than another. Colossians 3.11, a passage we read last week. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Also listen to Paul's word to the Romans. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. These are ethnic and religious groups. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, the religious Jews, nor uncircumcision, the irreligious, everybody else, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In Christ, everyone has the same worth. Everyone's value is rooted in Christ, not their ethnicity or their social status. This is awesome. This is a good word for us, right, in the most ethnically diverse city in the United States. And some of you grew up in homes where you can remember like your grandma saying things that were derogatory towards another race, and that's kind of rooted in you, that racism. Let me say something to you, like don't let that fester because it will hinder the work of Christ through you. One of the things that I feel really passionate about as a pastor of this church is meeting with pastors of other churches that are being planted in the area. And um, so we invite them to my office, and there's about a list of about 15 or 20 of these guys that, that I'm, I'm in conversation with. Most of them are, are uh, non-Anglo, and I love it. Because, frankly, the place that's most separated ethnically in the United States is the local church. And I want to be clear about something that in Christ, 
everyone shares equal worth. But as soon as I say that, I also want to be clear about something else, that that doesn't necessarily mean that every person is the same. We must recognize an error in our thinking that if one person is worth, uh, we, we recognize the error in our thinking that one person is worth more than another. Sure, we, we recognize that, and in Christ, our worth is the same. But we should not overcorrect it to think that every person is the same. For instance, a man has distinctly different parts than a woman. A man and a woman are distinctly different. We say equal worth, distinct role, distinct person. An adult or a parent is different than a child. Anatomically, they're different, and they are different um, in terms of their level of social responsibility, right? Equal worth, distinct role. So, and the reason I point this out is because I think this is being confused in our day, in our society. And, uh, and, it, and this is the way, whenever the good news of Jesus Christ is, um, is not proclaimed and, and people begin to follow whatever functional God that they begin to worship and Christ is, is somewhere else, um, the inevitable result is, is um, that that we say, well, well, everybody is the same, so it doesn't matter. There's not something distinctly different between a man and a woman. And, and the sort of logical path that that takes us down is eventually there's nothing different between a, an, a human being and an animal. And you say, well, I really love my dog, which is wonderful. Um, but there's something distinctly different between you and your dog. It's not the same. And, and where that takes us is, is a society that believes it's okay to do things like for an adult to marry a dog. And you say, you say no, 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 that could never happen. It is. And I have a couple articles. I'm not going to read them because I don't want to give more attention to this. But in our own country, there are people that are legally, uh, well, in their mind, they've had like a marriage ceremony with an animal because they love them. Because in their minds, there's no different. Now, some of you single ladies are like, that's an idea. You know, I can't find me a good man. and might find me a good dog. That's great, but just don't marry him and don't think it's the same thing as finding a good man. In Christ, everyone shares equal worth. But there's something distinctly different, and that's okay, and I think it's part of what makes humanity beautiful. We, we need not say that everybody has to become the same type of culture. We, we don't... We don't need to eliminate or reduce um, the beauty of the Mexican culture or the African culture or any other type of culture. We, we need not reduce the beauty and the distinctiveness of a woman or the masculinity of a man. Like those things can, can exist together and they reveal something beautiful about God's creativity. Every person is equal and each person has a role, equal worth, distinct role. So that's the first thing I want you to see is that in Christ, everybody has equal worth, but there are distinct different roles between them. And that'll help us to understand the passage. The second thing is this. Whereas other lists emphasize the authority of the husband, the parent, and the slave owner, Paul emphasizes the authority of the Lord. And this is really important because we're getting ready to talk a little bit about marriage. 
So I want you to hear this. Other lists in the ancient Near East emphasized the authority of the husband, the parent, and the slave owner. But Paul emphasizes the authority of the Lord. Look at verse 18. Well, I'll read it in just a second, but let me just read a few of the verses that reference this. Verse 18, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 22, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, as for the Lord. Verse 24, you are serving the Lord. Verse Uh, Chapter four, verse one, you have a master in heaven. So Paul is setting these rules in people's hearts and, 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 and helping them to be postured before the Lord. He's describing what an orderly home looks like when it's submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it can be hard, and we should admit this right now before we even read these verses, it can be hard to think about submitting to an authority. Why? Well, because... Uh, we have seen authorities take advantage of us and neglect us and fail us. I mean, some have said that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people were more trusting of the government and of the church and of, of the home, their parents. But here, most of us have experienced an authority letting us down. My parents were divorced when I was young. Uh, my father was not an authority that I could trust. And, um, and so it's have impacted my, my sense of trust for established authority, and I recognize that in my own life. Uh, Maybe you see what's going on in the government, and you say, oh my goodness, we're supposed to rely on these people, but we can't. Therefore, any authority is a threat. Let me tell you something. The kind of teaching that Paul is doing here to the Colossians is this. Like, we're to live our lives submitted to an authority, a perfect authority, and that is the Lord. We must view in Christ, we must view our lives as unto the Lord. And in Christ, we're at peace with the King of kings and living as children of God in the kingdom, which means that he is in charge. And we have to be okay with that. And here's, I want you to listen to this very carefully. We do not see the authority of God as limiting. We should not see the authority of God as limiting. Instead, we ought to see it as freedom. A life without boundaries is chaos. Now, Do you hear that? A life without boundaries is chaos. Our glad, voluntary submission to the Lord gives peace. Last year, um, I went to uh, Africa, to Kenya, and we were doing mission work there. And at the end of our trip, we had an opportunity to go on a safari. And, uh, And so we... We take a plane down to the national park. Um, we 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 get on one of these big jeeps, and we and we basically over the course of two days drove um, throughout this national park where there were a bunch of wild animals. And I will never forget um, when the tour guy said he he said, "Now I want to warn you, these animals." are wild. They will kill you. They will eat you. And they will just make you and eating you a part of their day. Unless you abide by some rules. And here are the rules. Do not get out of the Jeep. You see, in the National Park in Kenya, uh, there are these paths that have been... um, made over time because of Jeeps like the one that I was in going and and touring and seeing these animals. 
And so most of these animals have grown up seeing these vehicles moving. And according to the tour guide, these vehicles look to them like a rock. They're not bothered by them. These wild animals are not bothered by these jeeps going throughout this park. Has anybody ever been to a safari in, in Africa? Yeah, Dave has. Chrissy has. Did you get out of the jeep, Chrissy? It busted my illustration. Okay, so the area where we were in, uh, you couldn't get out. And so he said, if you get out of the Jeep, then they'll recognize you and it will be danger. Now, what we saw was incredible. There were times we would drive up on lions, and a lion would be from from here to me to Eric over here, and it would be this far away, and, and, uh, and we would see him, but he wouldn't make any mention of us. I mean, he wouldn't notice us too much. And I knew to myself, if I just stayed submitted to the authority of this tour guide, the experience that I would have would be wonderful and awesome and beautiful. And I was able to take pictures and enjoy it. And my heart swelled with love for, these, for this opportunity and for the beauty of this. This is so much like it is with the Lord. God says, hey, I am going to give you the path. Stay on the path, and you're going to get to see things that are wonderful and incredible. You'll, 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 you'll experience so much freedom in the moments that you stay on the path that I've set out for you. But if you disobey the tour guy, you're going to be eaten alive. This is what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, we submit to you by opening your word. Okay, so here is what the passage says. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm going to quickly tell you what they mean. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are in your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality." Masters, treat your bondservants or slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So I just want to tell you what Paul is saying here with, as a backdrop, the two things that we've said. Paul emphasizes equal worth and submission to the Lord. The first thing he says is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, it's in the Greek, this is what's called a middle voice. And so it's like, when he says submit, it says submit yourself or submit voluntarily. So Paul is not suggesting that a woman is naturally or spiritually inferior to the man or the wife to the husband. But he does mention elsewhere in, uh, uh, in other letters that there's a divinely instituted order in creation. And in this order, the wife is to follow the leadership of the husband. Um, and we also see this in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. Now, I want you to know something here. The way that Paul writes these things to wives, he, he writes them in this way. Wives, you ought to choose this. 
The husband is not to force this on her. This is where we get kind of messed up. I mean, right now you're either saying, oh my gosh, I'm not into this. I don't believe the Bible because I'm sure not going to submit to a man. <laughs> or, or you say, you, guys, you're saying, yeah, woman, I got you. The Bible right here. I'm going to put this above like our doorway and on the refrigerator, you know. No, no, we need to see the, the kind of sweetness and the gentleness and the beauty of this passage. Uh, the, the husband is not forcing this on the wife. The wife is voluntarily submitting to the leadership of her husband and ultimately to the Lord. So the, the man's words are not submit woman, exclamation point, but instead they are, I love you. I, I care about you. I want what's best for you. Now, as you would imagine, leading up to a sermon like this, I had a conversation with my own wife. And I asked her, I said, Jeannie, can you think of a time in our marriage? It will be um, 14 years, August 21st, which is coming up, actually. Can you think of a time when I've ever had to say to you, we're going to do this no matter what you say? Because I couldn't. I couldn't think of a time where I ever used my position as a leader in our home to rule harshly over my wife. Never. Now, there have certainly been times where I've made mistakes in the way that I've spoken to her, and I'm certainly not a perfect husband, and, and uh, if she were honest, she would, <laughs> she would agree with that. But I can't ever think of a time where I've ever had to say, the Bible says, submit to me. I am the leader of our home, and this is what we're going to do, or this is what we're going to buy, or this is where we're going to move, or this is where we're going, whatever. If there was ever a time where I thought we should do something, and she said, I don't think so, you know what? Really? Tell me why, because I want to, I mean, maybe you're hearing something from the Lord that I'm not hearing. It's similar to the relationship well, similar but very different to the kind of relationship that I have with other key leaders in our church. You see, I see that God has established even in our church like an order for how things are to operate and an authority in our church. And so although I am the leader, if another key leader said to me, you know, I think we should go this direction or do that thing or, or, or I think you're stepping in the wrong direction, I would say, really? I wouldn't just say, no, I'm the leader. Submit to me. This is what Paul has in mind, the kind of leadership that draws the follower in through love. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, in the ancient, more common ancient lists, the husband normally, uh, it was stressed how the husband should rule over his wife. Um, but what Paul stresses here is really quite scandalous, in Christ, Paul stresses that he should love her. And it's not simply a matter of like affectionate feeling or sexual attraction. Uh, it involves this unceasing care and loving service for her, her entire well-being. It is gentle. It is kind. It is the kind of love that pursues her, pursues her heart. It's really frankly, kind of unnatural for a man to love his wife in this kind of a way. Uh, Ephesians 5, Paul says a little bit more about how husbands love their wives. Husbands are to love your wives as Christ 
love the church. I mean, that, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for the church. He went willingly to the cross to suffer and die so that the church could be birthed and born and people could experience peace with God. This is how we are to love our wives. He adds on this part, do not be harsh with them. We're not to become angry or incensed against them. We're never justified if they frustrate us in, 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 in demeaning them. You know the way that we're oftentimes very harsh with our wives that we don't realize? With our words. You see, because we can exchange words as men and it not be a big deal. But oftentimes we, we forget that, that women are different. And although we're in a society that's kind of told them you need to be tough and you need to almost be like more masculine. I want you to know that deep down the way God has made them, our words are so powerful to them. Um, There have been a number of times that I have spoken to my wife in a way that was harsh. And um, I've never cursed her out or anything like that, but a way that maybe I was frustrated. I had a long day. I'm experiencing some sort of stress. I get home and I'm frustrated about something. And and so I I will kind of be cutting or pop off to her. And uh, I hope more often than not that I had to go back to her and apologize. And especially for the times that I've done it in front of my children. So I'm not saying to you like, oh, I have it all figured out. I mean, you guys got to get with the program. What I'm saying is this is a part of submitting to the Lord and going, okay, I want, what, how am I supposed to relate to my wife? I want to love her. And I should not be harsh with her. Instead, I should be gentle with her and take the time with her. You cannot rush process uh, with her. You cannot. You have to be patient with her. And, um, and that, is, that is in every area of your relationship, be it physical or emotional or mental or whatever. There, there's a slow kind of process that, that happens more often than not. Maybe right now, either wise or husbands, you're feeling like conviction, like, man, I've, I messed up in this. And you just want to make a mental note that this afternoon, look your spouse in the eye and just say, you know, I want to apologize. I I, w- I want to submit myself to the Lord and, 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 and tell you that I'm sorry for behaving this way. Uh, one, one thing I would say before I move on from this is, what do you do if um, you've messed up here? What if, husbands, you can't help but feel angry at your wives? What do you do? Well, you know, um, I happen to think that counseling is a really healthy thing. And, and I want you to know that like, if you need help in this, swallow your pride, ask, ask me to help you. And I'm not saying necessarily that I would be the one to be counseling you, but I certainly could get you connected to resources that would help you. Don't just let this be a rhythm of your relationship because what will begin to happen, husbands, especially if, if you're harsh with your wives, is that she will begin to die inside. And you may stay married to her, but when you're old and gray, she'll be a lifeless human being. And you won't get to experience the kind of glorious intimacy that God has designed for you to experience. And in that relationship of husband and wife, you know what? It's the greatest uh, model to the world of Christ's love and relationship with the church. And so uh, we want to make sure we're doing it the way God wants us to do it. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, very few of you in here are children still living at home, but I, so I will be brief. Um, the command here, it, it, whereas verse 
18 and 19 were like, were the wives to submit to the husband like voluntarily uh, as an act to the Lord. This actually is a command. Obey your parents in everything. It's, it's more, um, it's an imperative. So it demands absolute obedience. So we're to obey our parents into the Lord. And, and it, when I relate to my children, there are times where I have to say, are you going to obey me or disobey me? Like, this is what it comes down to. I know you're not feeling like it, but are you going to obey me or disobey me? Because the way God has set this thing up is that I am an authority in your life and you need to obey me. Now, Paul certainly would not expect for a child to disobey God and obey their parents. You know what I'm saying? So whereas we're commanded here to obey our parents, and Paul is writing to a group of Christians, he would assume that the, parent, the parental instruction is Christian to the Christian child. Um, if your parents are not Christians and they're asking you to do something that's not uh, honoring to the Lord, you do not have to submit to them. Now, it's going to get complicated at that point, but I just want you to know that uh, by way of instruction. So verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here's a good one. Most ancient fathers and educators beat their children as a matter of course. They, they just beat their children just to beat them because they thought that it was good for the kid. Um, but Paul advocates a more gentle approach to child rearing. It's not saying it's not okay to spank your child um, so this is not a commentary on that. Um, but what Paul's saying here to fathers is, is that a father should be mindful of their child's heart and, and should not irritate or provoke their children lest they lose heart and become timid. You see, as a, as a, as a father, as a parent, what we're supposed to do is, is get to know our little child's heart and help it grow and blossom and, and help them become the kind of person that God wants them to be so that they can participate in whatever God wants them to do in the world. So, so my job as a dad is to see my sons as little boys that I get to, 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 to nurture them and to help them because there will be a day where I'm going to stick that arrow in a bow and I'm going to get to launch it into the heart of the beast. So, but for now, they're still, they're still tender. I mean, even today, my children come up with me on Sunday mornings. I love having them run around and all this kind of stuff. It's good for them to see the church being set up. It kind of removes, I love it. And um, so Price is in the back and there was just a moment I felt the spirit just say to me, just pray with Price, he's five. And I, I just said, Price, you want to pray, buddy? He said, yeah. So we pray that you have a good day and have a good time in church. And I'm just thinking like it's a sweet moment. And I'm thinking, man, this is so strange. Like, this is powerful, like right here, man. And, and, and we get done praying. He looks at me and he says, Dad, will you pray that God will give me a skateboard? <laughs> yeah, yeah look, so we prayed that God will give him a skateboard. <laughs> you know, he said, Dad, I can't wait to get home because there'll be a skateboard at my house, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to talk to Lawton about this so we can hook him up with a skateboard. Um, you know, but, but so, so he's young, but, but my job as a parent, our job as fathers and as parents is to identify and get to know their little hearts. And it's hard, right, because we're busy and, and we're stressed and we have all kinds of people wanting things from us, but, but we got to get to know their little hearts. And what happens oftentimes, because we're busy and we're stressed, we, we react to them. We respond to them. And instead of pursuing them, and, and oftentimes if we're stressed and tired, the way we 
the way we act towards them or react towards them, it actually it hurts their heart and suffocates their heart and they become timid. Our children get to see our best and our worst, right? And so I'm certainly not saying you should be the best parent. One of the, some of the most powerful moments in my relationship with my own kids, especially my oldest son, is, is uh, I did something last week. I was trying to teach them something, and, and I, was, um, I did something that I regretted. And uh, I, was, I was too harsh with him. And then, and then later, I, I, I just apologized. I got on my knee before him, and I said, son, I'm sorry I messed up. I was not, that was not the way I'm supposed to be as a dad, and I'm really sorry. And I mean, like, I mean, I genuinely meant it, and he's, you know, it was just kind of a moment. And so in those moments, we, get to, we, get, we don't have to be perfect as parents, but when you screw up, tell them you're sorry. Um, so, so what happens if you've already done this? What have you messed up? I think you apologize if you need help, you get it. Verse 22, he talks here about slaves or bond servants. Now, what Paul is going to do here is he's going to comment about an institution that existed during this day, slave and slave owner. He's not endorsing it. He's just commenting on it because it exists. In the Colossian church, there are slaves and slave owners. Now, many think that there are other places in the New Testament, like the letter uh, called Philemon, where Paul is actually um, trying to work to, to rid the society, especially Christian culture, from this, this um, idea of slave and slave owner. But let, let's just briefly, let me mention here what he says regarding slaves. Obey in everything that those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasing, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So what he's going to tell um, the slaves is that they are above all else servants of Christ. And they're to work first and foremost is to please Christ. They're not to fear this earthly master, but they're to revere the Lord as their primary motive. And um, he also speaks to slave owners, and there probably weren't a lot of slave owners in this Christian church, but he says, you are to treat slaves justly and fairly. Each of these attitudes are to be submitted to the Lord. Now, we know, without a doubt, forced slavery is unethical and immoral, so it becomes a little tricky to apply this in our everyday oikos. But we can, and some of you will be able to apply this easily, think about this in terms of our jobs. You feel like a slave at your job. At your job, do your work for the Lord. Do your best even when days are tough for your employer is being difficult, knowing that you do not ultimately work for your employer, you work for the Lord. And the Lord is pleased by your efforts. It's not always easy. You have bad days. Your employer has bad days. Um, but if we work with our eyes on Jesus, we will experience peace in the midst of the bad day. At your job, Treat your employees fairly. Do not take advantage of them. Do not demean them or talk harshly with them. If you have to demean them or talk harshly with them to motivate them, you are not a good leader. You hear me on that? I recognize that the way that the world operates in many businesses is that leaders feel justified demeaning or talking harshly with their employees. If you have to lead in that way, you are not a good leader. You need to develop as a leader. People may stay there because they need the money and they're afraid to lose their job. But I want you to know that you will stand before God someday and you will give an account for how you treated your employees. But in your job, in the home, I want you to know that in Christ, there's equal worth. That's the beautiful truth of the gospel. 
When we obey God's commands, we experience the peace of life with Christ because there's a sense of order in the midst of chaos. Our, our peace is not determined by how we feel or about how our emotion is towards our spouse on that particular day. Our peace is in knowing that we're living our lives for the Lord and he is pleased. And he is pleased. Let's think about these things and how God would have us to apply them. As I wrap up, I want to tell you a story. The story is told by the Persians of the great Shah Abbas. He reigned magnificently in Persia, but what was unique about him is that he loved to mingle with people in disguise. One day, dressed as a poor man, he descended this long flight of stairs. Though it was dark and damp, he found this tiny cellar where there was a, a man attending a fire. He sat next to this man and he began to talk to him. There's a king in this poor man. Day after day, for some time, this king went and sat with this poor man, and they ate together, they drank together, uh, and, and they enjoyed conversation together. This king's heart was filled with sympathy for this lonely man. This lonely man gave the king sweet counsel. The king gave the man friendship. They opened their hearts to one another, and there was something special there. Well, the day came that this this king said, I want to tell you who I am, and it will surprise you. And I want to give to you whatever you want. He said, you think that I'm a poor man, but I am Shah Abbas, your emperor. Silence. Shah Abbas expected a petition for something great from this poor man, but the man sat silent. He was stunned. Maybe he didn't hear me. He told him again who he was and asked, don't you understand? I can make you rich and noble. I can give you a city. I can appoint you as a great ruler. What will you ask of me? And the man replied, I understand who you are. But what it is that you've done is give something so special. You've you've left your palace and your glory to sit with me in this dark place, to partake of my course uh, of my meal, to care for me. You can't give anything. You can't give anything more precious. Yes, you have the power to bestow riches, but the real gift that you've given me is your presence. So my only request is that you not remove your presence from my life, and I will continue to serve you, O King. I pray that your enjoyment of the Lord and submitting to him would be like this man with this king, that what stirs in you great affection to the Lord It's just knowing that his presence is real and that he is near. Let's pray together.